0: co-host again I clicked out Um, so while that's happening um, Keith reminded me this morning of some of the best advice about what to buy men for Christmas because gentlemen you are a nightmare when it comes (laughs) to buying Christmas presents and the best thing is to buy them something new of what they've already got because they'll go I've got a new dressing gown You know, buy them something new of something they already love, and you've got it sorted. Okay? Right, let's. I better explain, he is my husband. (laughs) That makes him no less of a nightmare to buy for, I hasten to add. Right. introduce, we are doing growing today, but let's just screen share. So this is, well wait a minute, it's coming over, it's coming over, here we go, here we go. So we are on the second sermon in a three-part series, Knowing, Growing and Showing. And I did warn you when we did the first one, it would be the most long drawn out sermon series you've ever had, one per month. So you've had plenty of time to try and remember what they're all about. Uh, so who can remember what uh, knowing was all about? I think, uh, actually, should I just do that one again? <laughs> I think Robbie and Jess, you were at home with COVID at the time, so I'll let you off. We are exploring the sermon series. If you know the word of God, remember, yes, there was the quiz. There was the quiz. Anybody remember any of the questions? No.
1: (laughs) How many pages in
0: the Bible? Yeah. Yes. So, um, and then, and grow in relationship with Jesus. It will show light bulb moment. It will show in your life. So, today, we are looking at growing With Jesus. I need my glasses at this point. So knowing, growing and showing. Now, as most of you know, I am at college and this term I have started learning Greek. I mean I'm two years late because last time Greek was on, I was busy being a surveyor on a Monday and couldn't attend the lessons. But one of the strangest things about the Greek language is that the sentence order makes no difference to the meaning. You can have a sentence made up of three words that mean the dog bit the boy, and you change the order. Yeah, but in Greek it's three. You change the order of those three words, and it still means the dog bit the boy, not the boy bit the dog. Um, so we're going a little bit Greek with this this morning because I'm not quite doing it in the order of the sentence to grow in relationship with Jesus. Because first of all, I want to talk about that word relationship. I want to enthuse about the fact that Christianity is about relationship. And the fact is, it's relationship with Jesus. We're not even talking about a relationship with a theory or an ideology, but a person. And clearly that is only possible because Jesus is risen and alive today. You can't have a relationship with a corpse. Relationship is what makes all the difference in the Christian faith. Relationship is not about rules, religions, routine, or th- rituals, although some of those things are helpful in our Christian life, but a relationship is personal and transformative. It brings us into an intimacy with God, the creator of the universe. Let's stop and think about that. We are talking about an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe, and that reaches into our inmost being. Simply put, There is nothing like it. The fact that we are talking about relationship at all is remarkable. That is what's wonderful about the Christian faith. And that reading from Philippians chapter 1 tells us in verse 6, being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He who began a good work in you. God is the one who begins the work. It is only him that makes relationship possible. He reached out to us whilst we were far away, long before we knew we needed God, and he is the one that crossed the divide in the incarnation of Jesus. We should never take that for granted. We're going to celebrate Christmas now, celebrate all that the incarnation means. But it shows how God reached out to us before we knew we we needed him. In Hebrews, Jesus is described as the author and the perfecter of our faith. That could also be the pioneer of our faith. But with an author or a pioneer that is the person that comes first you don't have a book until you have an author the author starts the process a pioneer is the one who goes out and discovers an undiscovered country they are the one that leads the way jesus is the one who leads the way (coughs) and the fact that we're talking about relationship reminds us about the nature of god he is relational he is the trinity Father, Son, and Spirit, in eternal, perpetual relationship. And we are made in his image. And part of that is that we are relational by nature. We have just got out of 18 months, well, almost out. Let's hope that we don't go back into lockdown. We've had 18 months of self-isolation, lockdown, And we know that there has been a tremendous impact on people's mental health. I have to say, I've reached the opinion that if people say that it hasn't affected them and their mental well-being at one point or another, they are probably lying. We know how damaging putting somebody into solitary confinement is. We are relational beings, that's why it's wonderful when we can get back together. That's why we missed being with our loved ones so much during lockdown. We are relational beings with each other, but we are made for relationship with God. And the fact that God began a work in us before we knew it means that like all children, like all babies, there has been a gestation period. That period, in one sense, started from the time that God made us in his image from the time he then sent Jesus to walk amongst us. And all of us who have put our trust and our faith in God will know that there was a time that we look back that God was working in our lives before we really realized it, before we placed our trust in him. We look back and we know that there were conversations, there were people put in our lives that helped us, that taught us about Jesus, that told us about God. And that is why um, we've got a prayer meeting coming up in two weeks' time to pray for people who do not know Jesus. Specifically, we pray, thy kingdom come, because we know that the prayers that we pray now for people who don't know Jesus are really important, because God works in our lives before we turn to him. And next, if we're doing this the Greek way, we can talk about growth. Now, when I was a child at Sunday school, we sang a chorus. I don't think we sing it here. Um, Read your Bible, pray every day if you want to grow, if you want to grow. Read your Bible, pray every day if you want to grow. That is good, solid advice for any child, whether a child in terms of chronological years or spiritual maturity. And I remember very much as a child, possibly even described by Jenny, who was probably my Sunday school teacher at one point or another, um, that it had. To, it, uh, we were told, actually, at Sunday school, this doesn't mean that you grow in height, even though that was the action that you went with. If you want to grow, if you want to grow. You know, it had to be explained that we're not talking about growing in stature, um, although, obviously, Robbie has done quite a lot of that sort of stuff in <laughs> lockdown now got very tall. Um, But obviously that is solid advice. And you won't grow unless you do read your Bible and pray. But that is not all there is to relationship with Jesus. Don't miss the point of what it means to be in relationships. In relationship. The Pharisees read their Bibles and prayed every day. And let us not forget that the scripture they were reading is still what we consider scripture and God's inspired word to us. They read their Bibles and prayed every day and I'm sure they knew their Old Testament, although obviously they don't call it the Old Testament, but I'm sure they knew it far better than I do. But they could hardly be said to be growing in relationship. So what are the markers of growth? Now, we have some young people with us today. Now, in your, in your, and I, I'm going to say, um, I don't know if mum's got one of these for me, but have you got in your house a baby book? Mm-hmm. Is there a baby book or a box? We're getting some nods in. Now, what is in your baby book or your box? The red books. The red books. What are the red books? Heights and weights. Oh, heights and oh, okay. You can tell I don't have children. I don't know what a red <laughs> book is. Um, Lorraine obviously does. So, um, so that's, what, height, 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 and height and weight, and yeah, yeah, have you got a baby book or a, or a box or something? Wristbands from, wristbands from the hospital and, and shoes. shoes. Oh, this is a very organised, fa- <laughs> it's not a competition, <laughs> it's not a competition I hasten to have. But have you got maybe a height chart that, you know, the, you got a door, door where we can see the markers of growth? Um, And I'm sure, did your mum always take your photograph on the first day of the new year? Mm. Yeah, in the uniform. There's a photograph of me and my sister and my brother at the bus stop trying not to be embarrassed that mum is taking our photograph. (laughs) So, when, when you're young, there are some really obvious markers of growth, aren't there? There's some obvious markers of growth, you're getting higher. And then as you get a little bit older you know those school photographs don't quite appear quite as prominently maybe and certainly when you grow to adulthood there's a bit of a gap isn't there in in the parents house of photographs going up you will have the wedding photos go up but then there's a gap until it's the grandchildren and the whole process starts all over again i'm getting some nods am i right with that i mean you know there's a gap isn't there i mean w- We we uh, we gave mum a photograph of us last year. Um, Hello, mum. She's on Zoom. I've just realised. (laughs) I
1: I can't finish that
0: sentence now. Um, But you know, we needed to mark the fact that Paul's hair had got long. Let's be honest. (laughs) I better explain to visitors. He used to have really short hair, and that. Give a, give a wave. And now, look, it's really long, yeah. <laughs> but when we're young in, and growing physically and mentally and doing our studies at school, there are certificates, there are markers of achievement. So what, what is it in the Christian faith that are markers of achievement? Well, Paul tells us in this letter, he describes the markers of growth and development as abounding more and more In love? Are you more loving than you were last year? He also talks about growing in knowledge and depth of insight, depth of discernment, and being pure and blameless, ready for when Christ returns and filled with the fruit of righteousness. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. Is fruit ripening in you? Part of the prayer that John Stott used to say every day includes a prayer that the spirit would cause spiritual fruit to ripen in his life. The best way to check if fruit is ripening in you is probably the most scary way, is to ask people you live with, are you being more loving than last year? Are you More patient? Are you more kind? Are you more thankful? Are you more ready for when Jesus returns? I was talking with uh, John Bridger a couple of weeks ago and he described a conversation he had at work about, um, about whether somebody should be promoted or paid more because they've been in their job longer. And he said, the question is, not have they got 25 years' experience, but have they just got one year's experience 25 times over? And as Christians, sometimes we can reach a plateau, and our growth kind of just stalls. It's another year of experience, another year of being a Christian, but is it another year of growth? If we're honest, our growth as Christians is a bit lumpy. I certainly know mine is. We have a growth spurt from time to time. But we must, in our spiritual walk, walk, make sure we never stop growing. And I would just like to say that one of the best words of advice I received um, was from Will Andrews, who's preached here a few times in the past, was do not forget in the dark what you have learned in the light. Do not forget in the dark what you have learned in the light. See, growth is not marked by having an easy life. It does often come in the dark times when we grow the most, like mushrooms. They have to grow in the dark. Just because life might be a bit dark at the moment, don't forget what you have learned in the light and don't forget, don't think that struggles mean distance from God. We spoke on Friday about the spirit of God being that deposit with us, that guarantee for an eternal hope. Do not forget in the dark what you have learned in the light. And then we'll look at that last bit of that sentence, grow in relationship with Jesus. What does it mean to be with Jesus in our growth? I thought it would be helpful to have a quick look at one of the most significant events in Jesus' life and the description of what is going on at that point between Jesus and his disciples. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 14, verses 32 to 42. Mark 14, verses 32 to 42. The hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In verse 34, Jesus says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. At that point, Jesus obviously expected the disciples to stay connected to him in prayer. The disciples had been through the most incredible experience alongside Jesus' ministry. They had times of building relationship with him. They lived and ate with him for all that time. They saw the miracles. They heard the parables. They listened to the sermons. And then his three closest disciples, who he called with him to pray at this point, had seen the transfiguration. Clearly, Jesus expected them to stay connected. And from Jesus, this was a moment of intense vulnerability. I am overwhelmed with sorrow, he says. That is a conversation you can only have with your closest friends. Have you got sort of mask off and mask on friends? I'm not talking about the masks we've all been wearing for 18 months. But that mask where some friends, if they ask you, are you okay? You go, yes, yes, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then there are mask off friends and they go, are you okay? And you go, no, actually, I'm not okay. And there are friends that we can do with that with and there are friends that we don't, let's be honest. I, I know I, when I'm entertaining, I always, I always try and prepare too much. And if the doorbell goes early, my heart will sink a little bit because you think, oh no, the visitors are here. And I remember doing this and I opened the door and it was mask off, friends. So I could go, oh, it's you, great. Could you just go and sort that out? And there are other friends that you'd be like, this is not good. (laughs) Jesus had that moment of vulnerability. He exposed his deepest concern. I am overwhelmed to the point of death. But what did his closest friends do? They fell asleep twice. Imagine you were a casual observer walking in the garden that that evening. Taking a moment of fresh air before the hectic activities of Passover weekend. What would it look like to you? You would have Jesus over here Praying in deep distress. And over here, a group of men asleep. That connection would not appear to be there at all. Let's not read more in the text than there was. Jesus did deliberately say that he would go on his own. But he clearly expected them to stay connected to him and pray alongside him, if not physically alongside him. In verse 40, we read, when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. As the youngsters would say, awkward. (laughs) You need need teenagers in your life. Um, Because that connection was clearly damaged. I think any one of us would have felt horrendously sheepish if we had let a friend down like that in their deepest hour of need. In that moment, the connection was clearly damaged, not necessarily severed, but damaged. And a period of rebuilding relationship was going to be needed. So what does the Garden of Gethsemane teach us about growing with Jesus? To be with Jesus in that moment, the disciples had to Keith, have you drunk out of this water? <laughs> to be with Jesus in that moment, the disciples had to pray with him. So what is our example of growth? If we look at verse 36, that is where we find out what it means to be growing with Jesus and growing like him. Verse 36, Abba, Father, he said, this is Jesus speaking, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus prayed two things there. He prayed about relationship with Father, and he prayed that prayer of utter submission. And those are the prayers that we need to pray alongside Jesus. He calls God Father, and we are invited to do the same. It is a mark of relationship, a loving relationship, yes, but one where a father knows best and who calls the shots. It is a prayer to be childlike for each one of us. But we are rebellious children, let's be honest. It's not easy, and we do not want to be childlike in the way Christ was. He gave up everything. He was willing to suffer. People plotted against him. He was deserted by friends. He was mocked and ridiculed. I don't like the idea of some of those things, if I'm honest. So to pray that prayer is not easy and we mustn't pretend that it is. Are we really willing to grow with Jesus, to grow in relationship with him and to take up our cross daily? He prayed, your will be done. Not mine, it is a mark of complete surrender. It is at that moment that we are growing in relationship. It takes time and patience. Like Jesus, he went off in quiet solitude to wrestle with God. And it's in the wrestling with God over our deepest fears and feelings that we grow. Too often, if you're like me, we rush to action when we need to sit and let the Holy Spirit speak into our inmost being. If we're honest, that is why we plateau. We think we've reached a level of maturity that we know how to do the Christian life. We can do the activities that we're involved in with. But actually we need to daily pray that prayer of submission. We need to spend time allowing the fruit to ripen. It doesn't ripen, fruit doesn't ripen in the shade. We need to sit long enough in the sun and not fall asleep. So the way to grow is to get our knees dirty with Gethsemane mud, praying, not my will, but yours be done. And in conclusion, if we go back to that verse from Philippians chapter 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on until completion, until completion in the day of Christ Jesus. The growing goes on, it has to. Our relationship with Jesus is the most important thing in our lives. And the world needs our fruit to ripen. And the only way we can ripen is to be with Jesus, praying like him in Gethsemane, not my will, But yours be done. Amen. Our final hymn, actually, we'll we'll pray before we do that. Father God, we thank you first and foremost that we can call you Father. That in all your awesome majesty, your pure holiness, and your almighty power, you still reach down and (coughs) delight in us as your children. What a miracle that is and how remarkable. Let us never take it for granted. We thank you that you reached out to us. And that our faith in you is based not on rituals and routine, but relationship. Forgive us when our rebelliousness doesn't allow us to grow in you as we should. Open our hearts that we might hear your voice and your spirit speaking when rough edges need to be rubbed off. And Lord, cause your fruit to ripen in us, we pray.